Are you the type of leader who wants to leave behind a legacy? Well, I'd love to help you unlock a legacy of excellence with the School Leadership Toolkit. For just $97, you'll gain access to 10 easy-to-implement resources, including templates, frameworks, and bonus content designed to help you manage your to-do list, make better decisions, navigate difficult conversations, and support your team. Fast-track solutions to your challenges by grabbing the toolkit at schoolsofexcellence.com toolkit or click the link in the show notes. Elevate your leadership journey today. Welcome to the Schools of Excellence podcast, where we have conversations about education, leadership, and building a school of excellence. The goal on this show is to bring you clarity, up-level your mindset, and give you practical strategies and inspiration so you can show up with confidence and trust your decision-making. I'm Khani Olshansky. I'm a mom of four under 10, a former New Yorker, and been in the early childhood field my entire life. And I'm so grateful that you've joined me for this conversation. Today, I have an exciting conversation for you. As a leadership coach and mentor and advisor to school leaders, I am always looking for mentors and coaches and leaders that I surround myself with so I can constantly up-leveling and growing myself. And today's conversation is with Heather Chauvin. Heather is a TEDx speaker, author of the book, Dying to Be a Good Mother, and host of the highly loved podcast, Emotionally Uncomfortable, with over 6 million downloads. Heather is a leadership coach and helps successful women courageously and authentically live, work, and parent on their own terms. My conversation with her today really blew my own mind on the level of questions, the deepening of conversation, and how to really understand how to sit in our own discomfort. We talk a lot about what it means to simplify your own triggers. We do a lot of different role-playing on how to have not only the difficult conversation of holding someone accountable, but how to learn how to sit in that discomfort when you're having the conversation and how to invite the other person and hold space for their own discomfort. We talk a lot about feminine burnout, how to create a life on your own terms, how to understand how to become more self-aware. Heather is super practical. She gives a lot of practical strategies towards the end of our conversation. This is full of just great, no bullshit just straight up great conversation. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did with Heather Chauvin. So Heather, welcome to the Schools of Excellence podcast. I'm really honored that you're here today because I have been following your show for such a long time. Um, And I have so many personal questions I want to ask you along with a lot of our members who are excited that you um, are a guest on today's podcast. So I'd love to get started with the name of your show, Emotionally Uncomfortable. And if you can start off by sharing with us just the story and the evolution of why that is the name of your show. Yes, evolution for sure. Um, <laughs> so excited to be here. And so my podcast actually started as Mom is in Control. And if we go back in memory lane, so I'm a mother, three boys, they're currently 18. They always change their ages and then I get mixed up. So 18, 13, <laughs> and 10. And it, mothering was the thing that cracked me open. That was my first, I say, aha moment where I didn't want to become a statistic. I was actually 18 when I became a mother and I was single at the bottom, depressed, nothing, no, didn't know where I was going, but I knew change needed to happen. I just, just remember the first time I looked at my son thinking, I don't want to become a statistic. And so there was like that you know, utilizing that fear, which really drove me to start achieving. And Mm -hmm. so I went to school, got a university degree in social work, fell in love with mental health, meditation, mindfulness, got the job. I'm checking all the boxes and doing the things that I never thought were possible for me. But my son, because my son was my purpose and I was living for him, literally living. He was my existence. He was why I was living and breathing. At the same time, there were things that didn't feel aligned for me, but I, you know, turned a blind eye to it because I'm a mom now. I, you know, and I'm getting the pats on the back culturally of like, look at you go, you're super mom, all these things. But I felt chronically fatigued. I just was like, felt dead inside. There was a misalignment, but here I am now 
you know, eventually by the time I had my third son, he was a year old. The oldest was about nine left my corporate job, signing the papers, being like, I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to make an impact. Um, started the podcast. Mom is in control because women wanted to feel in control and they didn't have any clue what was going on in the parenting world. They're reading the books, but there was still like this, like spiritual disconnect for them inside being like, not this, not this. And 10 years ago, while I'm coaching, while I'm helping parents see and understand their children's behavior, I was diagnosed with a stage four cancer diagnosis. And with all the personal development, all of that, to hearing women over and over and over again of like, this is great, Heather, but I don't have the time to implement this. I don't have the energy. My marriage is falling apart. I don't like my career. I'm out of alignment. And I'm like, is the child's behavior a symptom or is that the pain that's just being presented and showing misalignment in all other areas of their life? So it was actually last year um, at the beginning in January of last year, 2022, I decided to take mom out of my brand. My book is called dying to be a good mother, but I'm like one, we're more than mom. Two, If we want to feel the joy and the ease and the connection with our kids and in our life and in our work and in ourselves, we have to get emotionally uncomfortable. And in the messy middle of going from one identity to overwhelmed, exhausted, burnt out, miserable, broke, depleted to feeling alive, feeling energized, feeling all the things, right? You still have the same family, but Mm -hmm. you are different from one identity to the other. That messy middle is the emotionally uncomfortable zone. And I actually don't believe in hard things. I believe everything is just emotionally uncomfortable. So that's where I'm at right now. I love that. And thank you for taking the time to share so much of your story because it really kind of feeds to so much of the rest of, you know, today's conversation. And so one of the things that you just shared, you know, emotionally uncomfortable, you talk a lot about emotional boundaries and, you know, your cap says, how do I want to feel? And I know that's like a big part of just the dialogue and the conversation that you're bringing into the world and you're bringing to the forefront. And so in the last three years, the school leaders that we work with, that this show is all for school leadership, they have really been struggling with compassion fatigue, right? When COVID first hit, the schools were really hit with the lockdowns. And so the leader took on all these identities. Now I'm the therapist. Now I'm the marketer. Now I'm the, you know, person who listens to the government all day to find out if I could be open or closed. And after two years um, in, in the beginning of 2022, they were so exhausted that instead of creating emotional boundaries, we really created these brick walls where like, no one can come into me. No one can talk to me. I don't have space for anyone. And so we're trying to create a new narrative. Now we're trying to kind of open up a little bit. And so I'd love to hear, how do you really describe emotional boundaries, um, especially for women and moms who are in these really taxing roles of school leadership, where they're navigating teachers and parents and young kids? Oh, this is such a good, I'm so excited for this. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So one contrast is a beautiful thing. Mm. We have to realize that when we're like, not this, not this, that is our body, our mind, our life saying, this is not working. Yeah. Now I had that moment 10 years ago when I was diagnosed and I was looking around and literally thinking, if I don't change, I'm physically going to die. But I could not find another woman who was a role model who was doing both well, meaning like she had, I didn't know I needed boundaries and I definitely didn't know what emotional boundaries were. So fast forward, and I'll talk about more strategies, but fast forward when COVID happened, I was like, I had deja vu and I was like, huh, people are either going to learn their lessons. They're either going to sink or they're going to swim. So number one, when somebody, like, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my gosh, this is me. I have compassion fatigue or I'm exhausted. You have to realize your life does not need to feel like that. But I think there's a- Yeah. Your (laughs) life does not need to feel like that. It is a symptom. 
Mm-hmm. We have been culturally trained that when symptoms happen, we mask our symptoms to just get rid of the pain, right? You have a headache, you take something to get rid of the headache. You're not realizing like, why is my body giving me a headache? Let's become a little detective about it because you don't create the time and space to do so. So then we just keep shoving it down. Compassion fatigue is the exact same. So Mm -hmm. emotional boundaries to me are what is mine and what is theirs. You can still have compassion and empathy for somebody else, but you don't need to energetically take that on. So as a visual, this is what a lot of my clients practice. It's really weird, but I'm just going to yeah. give you a visual. I feel like this is something you would teach small children. Okay. Um, I, for the longest time, and this is years ago, I had to visualize a platter in front of me mm. and flinging back what was not mine. I love that analogy. I think that's so perfect, right? Don't let it come inside my heart. Like here's the platter. This is where it stops. Yes. And yeah. if we look at what we're doing, I think, especially as women, we think by taking on somebody else's problems, we're taking it away from them. But what we're actually doing is just making it bigger. And I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. Let's take, I'm going to take one of my children as an example, because I'm so deeply ingrained with this relationship with this child. So anyone listening, it could be a personal relationship. It could be someone that you're working with, the children that you're caring for. You care right? It's not that you need to care less and you need to become cold hearted, but what you need to do is realize how you are actually trying to emotionally rescue the other person from their pain to ease your emotional discomfort. It is an addiction. And I believe most women are addicted to being rescuers and enablers. And we've convinced ourselves because it's culturally acceptable, right? Over nurturers, culturally acceptable to do that. And it's like, oh, she was such a hero. She's so nurturing. Look at her, give, 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 give. But yet she's depleted and her physical body's breaking down, her mental body, her emotional body. And then she burns out and she can't be of service to anybody. So example, my child through the pandemic, I mean, all my kids, everyone was struggling in their own way. But this child, I'm watching struggle, right? Just trying to navigate and find things. I want to rescue so bad. I want to pick up the pieces. I want to be like, go do this, go do this, go do this. I have to, one, observe my own controlling behavior. And I have to become the coach. I have to say, what do you need from me? I have Mm -hmm. to observe from a distance with boundaries. But that messy middle, that emotionally uncomfortable where those boundaries are, are the vulnerability, I have to sit with my own discomfort of like watching somebody fail. And I've seen it again and again and again when you go in and try to take away from somebody else and overdo for them, you're actually taking away from their human experience and they will never learn their lessons. And it's just a toxic, codependent, emotional cycle. So I want to dig a little bit deeper into this addiction piece because uh, just to give even just some examples of the directors that we work with. So the director is a person who's really kind of in the day-to-day minutia with the kids, with the parents, with the teachers. And then we have the owner who's very much leading the leadership team, the administration, everyone in charge. And so a lot of directors really struggle with this enabling thing, right? Teachers will buzz the main office. Hey, we're out of diapers. Hey, I'm out of this. Hey, can you grab me this? And in this attempt to rescue of like, oh my gosh, but if they don't have the diapers, then the kid's not going to be changed. So I got to go run, you know, give them the diaper. Can you elaborate a little more, give more context on like how this becomes an addiction and how someone can build self-awareness around, okay, I am actually addicted to this. And now I need to break up with this. Like I need to create separation here. Yeah. I think there's too many of us are living on autopilot and survival mode and think that is not thriving. And when that is your identity, especially in leadership, you create that culture. And so I'm huge on it's not about how do I want to feel because I want to feel good. It's how do I want to lead? Like, how do I want to lead my family? How do I want to lead my team? I have a big team. How do I want to lead my community? How do I want to lead my people? 
And in the immediate, you're like, okay, this child needs a diaper. I'm going to give the child the diaper. I'm not going to allow them to struggle, but I'm going to ask myself, how did we get here? How did we get here where it's 911 and I'm putting fires out all day? And so you as a leader need to make note of that. Mm-hmm. And then you need to address it and say, hey, I'll do it this once, but this is not going to happen again. What can we put in place to make sure this doesn't happen? And yes, there can be SOPs. Yes, there can be all those things, but that's where you have to hold your own boundary. And then when it happens again, you say, hey, remember when you were supposed to stock that the night before? How come that didn't happen? Well, I don't have the capacity. I don't have whatever. What are you going to do about it? We have to let the other person feel their emotional discomfort. It's the same as when I tell my son, listen, I am not bailing you out of this. You have to learn how not to spend all of your money on fast food, right? I can't control that. You're old enough now. You can drive yourself, but I'm letting you know, like you have your phone bill to pay. And if you're spending all of your money, your phone will be shut off. I have to follow through with my boundary. That is a me issue. If I am so emotionally uncomfortable that I don't want to follow through and that triggers my people pleaser. And I'm like, well, I feel bad. Oh my gosh, he's going to struggle. If you want to create a culture that is healthy and thriving and then trickles down to the children, it is your responsibility to hold those little micro boundaries and observe all the symptoms of, I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want this. Start writing out the list, taking back a bird's eye view, and then creating from that place. It takes time. It's annoying, but you're literally changing the culture. What are some of the questions or kind of practices that you've done with yourself, right? Because again, raising teenage boys is is massively triggering, right? It's, it's oh, yeah. there's a lot of stuff that are that's going on inside of you, and yet you've created some sort of practice where you learn how to sit in that discomfort of like, okay, he, his cell phone bill might be shut down. I don't know; it may or not be, but I need to train myself to sit in the discomfort of if that happens, how am I going to respond? How will I react? Will I come and save him? So what? questions you're asking yourself, conversations, journaling, like how are you really learning to train your body to sit in that discomfort for long enough so you Mm -hmm. don't go to old habits, like people pleasing, like enabling, like all of those things? So number one, I had to find my own sense of identity, which is why I'm all about how do I want to feel, right? How do I want to feel? Because beyond my roles, I need to have this sense of self. We are so we gain so much of our um, purpose by giving and like, we're human. We're supposed to belong. We're supposed to connect. But if all those things went away, am I okay? Right. I might itch and get it like, be like, oh my gosh, I want to help people. or I want to do that. That's totally fine. But do I find fulfillment outside of my roles? So number Mm -hmm. one, you need to ask yourself, what is it that I need to fill my cup and you need to make it a priority? Um, and that's kind of my ETM process, my energetic time management. I teach that to people. I have like a online process that will teach you how to do it in like 50 minutes. So there's that in the moment when I'm triggered, I'm very aware of what what my triggers, meaning like I'm having a conversation with someone, they say something, all of a sudden I'm like in fight or flight, or I'm like, Oh, what was that? Observing your triggers, realizing if I'm in a green zone, living in my green zone, I'm like, do, 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 do. My child says something or someone says something to me. Boom. I go into red fight or flight. I'm angry now. Uh, Guilt kicks in, whatever it is. What I ask myself is whatever I'm saying about the other person, I cross out their name and I put mine. So my son's name is Logan. Logan is irresponsible. Hmm. Logan is disrespecting me. I am disrespecting me. I am irresponsible. How am I disrespecting me? Well, I'm disrespecting me because I'm literally doing what I said I wouldn't do. Yeah. There's some type of ownership. Like you have to get past that like blame game and persecution of other people. And then there's this self-ownership. So I'm like, yep, Yep, I'm not honoring my own boundary right now. 
Um, I said I wouldn't yell and here I am like raising my voice. I'm disrespecting myself. I'm, I'm breaking a promise to myself. I'm not walking away. So I literally in my, I can do it in my head now, but I used to do that before where I would have to like sit down and write it out. Cause I'd be reaction. I'd be reactionary, but I just literally am like, what story am I telling myself about somebody else? And I just cross their name out and put mine and then do some self-reflection work. So could we role play through this for a minute, just in the context of, of the schools? Because I, I think that example with your child is so powerful. And there are so many moms that are listening to this. But let's say in the context of a teacher who has come late for the third time in a row or continues to ask for supplies when she needed to stock or any of those kind of accountability, difficult conversations that leaders need to have. What, how would that how would a leader work through that journaling exercise? Mm hmm. Okay, so every adult doesn't matter their title. Mm -hmm. We have to realize that they are, there's a small emotional child in the physical adult body. So every time I see an adult and I'm like, I can't believe they just acted that way. Like you're an adult, like, come on, get some responsibility. There's something inside of them that is just stunted at a certain age emotionally. So I really try to to treat every human with respect. Like I really, and compassionate lens. Um, I also feel like there's a lot of shame that comes up. People will try to armor themselves to protect themselves, right? They're going to use excuses. At the end of the day, it's either shame of like, I am bad. I did something bad, guilt or fear coming up for them. So I would love for you, like give, let's mm -hmm. actually role play this because yeah. this would be great. So tell you can be the, the teacher. I'll be the teacher. Want. Okay. Okay. So, Hey, I, um, I'm missing some of the art supplies that we need for today's art activity. And I can't step out of the classroom because I'm in ratio. Can you please bring me those supplies from the art closet? No problem. What do you need? Um, I need paint and glue and, I don't know, four pieces of construction paper. No problem. I bring you the art supplies. Awesome. Do you have everything? Do you need anything else from me? Or are you good right now? I think we're good to go. Thanks. Cool. Perfect. I would love to have a conversation with you to see how we can figure out how to make sure that you have everything that you need moving forward well in advance. Can you talk later today at 4 p.m. after school is done? Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. So right there, that is what I would call a red zone, right? Mm -hmm. I can't have the conversation there. So I'm going to meet you with a respectful energy and be like, 100%, I'm going to get you what you need. I can't solve the problem in a quote-unquote crisis state. You need the art supplies. You need to make magic happen. Okay. No problem. Now, when you have time and capacity, let's make sure you have everything that you need so you can be successful. In that moment, if I'm triggered and I'm like, this is the third time this week she's doing yes. this. Yes. That trigger is mine. Okay. That trigger is for my work to do. You want to feel respected. You want psychological safety. You want to be like, wow, I really feel seen and heard and supported. So if I'm triggered, I'm not going to be like, this is the third time you're doing that this week. I don't have time for this. We're going to have a conversation after class. I'll bring the, the supplies, but I'm done with this. You need to get your whatever together. Yeah. You're, that's going to stress you out. Mm. And you are going to then project that onto the children. So I'm like, yeah, no problem. So 4 p.m. comes around. We have a conversation. You enter the office, right? I may or may not be annoyed because I'm like, now I have to stay later or I was supposed to do something else. But I'm going to clean up this mess now so that I can have more energy and capacity so I am no longer putting your fires out. So now it's 4 p.m. You come into the office. I'm going to say your name and I'm terrified to say it. It's Connie. Connie. <laughs> yes. Connie. You got All right. You're in the office and tell me about what happened today. I know this is the third time in like the last few weeks. What's going on? So I just feel like we're always short staffed. There's always something going on and I can't kind of fully understand what I'm going to need at every single moment. And this morning I had to run in late and last time there was this and there's, there's just, there's always something and you know, it's, it's, it's a lot and it's really hard. Yeah. 
I can see how that would feel really, really overwhelming. I'm curious, do you feel if I could wave a magic wand for you, Mm. what could I or we create for you that would feel better that I actually have control of? Tell me, just break it all down for me, puke it out. I'm going to write, write it out. We're going to come up with a solution together. So my responses would be, it depends on the teacher. So a few responses would be, we have too many challenging behavioral children. So I got distracted by this kid and that kid, and that's why this was hard. Or we might have context where they're putting responsibility on the co-teacher. Like she always comes late. So I couldn't prep in advance or, you know, you, someone needed me this morning and that, and, you know, I couldn't find my parking spot. So I couldn't get the supplies in time. Um, so there it's, it's kind of contingent on where the teacher's mindset is or season of life and what excuse you would bring to the table. Perfect. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what I can hear is that you're incredibly overwhelmed and there's a lot coming at you. Do you feel you have the skills to be able to manage that? No, not right now. Okay. So I want to be able to make sure that you have the skills to manage that, but all the things that I can actually help you control like making sure there's enough art supplies in the class, all of that. I'm going to take care of that. But the energy coming at you, I'm curious if you're open to learning a different skill or way of being so that we can make that easier for you. I love that question. I don't think, and I, I, I'm, I'm curious about which leaders have asked questions like that. None. And kind of separated the emotional responsibility of the teacher on herself. Like you need to learn the skills to be emotionally responsible. I can help you with some of the tactical execution because right now doing both is a little bit beyond your capacity. Well, mainly because I think the leader struggles with understanding where is my emotional capacity. So if we could pause on the role play for a second, I'd love to turn to your where you talk a lot about simplifying triggers. Yeah. And I think this is a great kind of segue into understanding like how do we help the leader simplify what is actually triggering them at every single moment. Because I think being in a school building is triggering in itself. There are so many people that are pushing every kind of button and it's a challenging role. It's a rewarding role, but it's super challenging. How, how can we start to simplify those triggers so we can have these really beautiful, emotionally uncomfortable conversations? Okay. So before we die, I was expecting you to be like, well, I don't think a leader would actually say that yeah, because it's the same dynamic as like parent child. Yes. And so this is a perfect example of why we need emotionally intelligent leaders. We want emotionally intelligent humans, but we want to blame the children. We want to blame, (laughs) but we have to understand it starts from top down, right? So There needs to be, if we want other humans to take responsibility for their emotions, their energy, their management, we have to take responsibility of our own. And that is the work. That if we don't have control of our own capacity and we're looking at everything else and we're like, oh my gosh, this is chaos. And you are acting from a place of chaos. It's just not going to work. Yeah, There's no other way. Mm-hmm. You can't put band-aids on this problem. So I also feel like we're a wild, we're just all overstimulated. I actually yeah. don't feel like we need to put out any fires. We don't need to have all the plates anymore. You need to like have this incredibly grounded energy within yourself. I'm a huge fan. Okay. You can ask me another question, but this is what's coming up for me. Yeah, go ahead. I wear headphones and earplugs a lot Mm. because I don't want to yell and scream at my children for being children. When that energy is coming towards me, it's overstimulating and my nervous system wants to overreact. But if I realize that if I want to live in alignment with how I want to feel, not saying I'm peaceful and grounded all the time because I'm definitely not. But if that's my focus, if that's my goal, if that's where I want to be, then just limiting something, having a boundary of input that's coming into my body, it gets me a little bit 
closer. And eventually over time, as I do that, what I'm saying to my mind and my body is life can be happening at me, but I don't need to take it in. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with any director, leader, all the things. You have so much coming at you and your ego actually believes you need to solve everything at once because you're in a state of fight or flight. But if you stop, look at the bigger picture and then start to reassess, you lead completely different. So ask me some tangible questions because I feel like I'm getting too. So I'm trying to think where I want to go. I have so many questions. I'm trying to think where I want to go from here. I think in the, when you're talking about putting headphones on or putting earplugs on to kind of pause the stimuli, pause what's coming at you. I think about this deep self-trust and right. And, and, and you speak about this a lot as well, where there's this paralyzing loop that happens in the school leader's mind around, well, if I don't tackle this, what if I lose my center? What, like I had a conversation recently with an owner and I kept asking her, and what's the worst thing that would happen? And what's the worst thing? Like kind of just seeing like, where is her mind actually? And her mind went all the way to, well, if the teacher did something like that, what if I end up in prison? What if like something happens with this child and then I end up in jail? Like that's where I'm like, okay, so that's the conversation we're having. Like when this happens, your mind is going to, I might be locked up. And she started laughing. I'm like, it's not, it's not necessarily a funny thing. Like that's what your body's experiencing. And so maybe we could talk about that piece. Like how do we help ourselves learn to deeply trust that it's okay not to respond to the flying plates and to the stimuli, but learn to say, where do I need to focus right now? How do I want to feel in this moment? How do I want to show up with being articulate, confident, you know, just, just communicating that beautiful way. Yeah. So when you get to that point and you realize that you're actually living and acting from a place of fear, Mm. you will attract more fear. So Although I can have moments where I'm like, not this. And, you know, I can, someone can go down a rabbit hole with me and they're like, what's your biggest fear, right? My biggest fear is that my child's going to have severe mental health and become a drug addict and live in my basement for the rest of my life. That is, that's just reliving family history or that's reliving like other people's stories. I have to bring myself back to the present moment. And this is what people have to do. Is that true? Are you in prison right now? No. Are you even close to being in prison? No. Okay. Where are you? I am here. I like the sun is shining. You have to come back to the present moment and realize that your brain just took you on a big journey into a future that doesn't exist or living in the past. So it's like, where are you today? What is the reality? And you have to develop the skill from practice to be like, I am here. I am here. I talk about this in my book, uh, Dying to Be a Good Mother, because my biggest fear of physically dying was actually Mm -hmm. in my face. And I remember one night I was coming home between treatments and I was like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. My whole body was like in fight or flight. And I had to get myself to the point mentally where I was like, okay, be here. Here's your feet. Okay. But you're not dead yet. You are alive you are alive, you are here. And I had to be so present. I literally had to like drag my mind back. Once you drag your mind back to the present moment, then you ask yourself, how do I want to feel, right? So that that um, employee of yours or teacher, they've triggered a primal fear inside of you, right? They're, they're like, and you're like in prison, in your mind, okay? Your whole body's in a state of fight or flight. So you're standing there, you're like, okay, I'm here. I'm not in prison. She's just triggered me. They've triggered me. How do I want to feel? I want to feel connected and I want to feel confident. Okay. Well, I have no evidence of what that looks like yet because I've never been a confident person. So what do I do? Huh? This is the deep self-trust now. Yeah. Interesting. I wonder, I wonder 
what that version of me would look like. And you you can't always do this in the moment. You have to like do some prep work, right? You got to do the inner work. What would that confident version of me show? How would they communicate? How would they act, right? Hey, I see you got a lot going on. Don't worry about it. We're going to have a conversation later today. I'm going to get you what you need. Then you're going to be like, ooh, wow, I'm triggered. My body is in a state of fight or flight. I got to go. I got to go out for lunch. I got to go for a walk. I got to listen to some calming music. I got to do some jumping jacks. I got to make that workout a priority and not overwork myself. I have to learn some breathwork techniques. I got to cut back on my coffee intake. I got to drink more water. You need to take radical responsibility for how you want to feel because your fear will be triggered. And if you, yeah, it's like you just remembering you're here, you're present, and then starting to lead from that place of how you want to feel. So the first time I heard you talk about simplifying your triggers, I pressed pause. I was driving and I was like, oh my God, what is this? Like, what does this look like in my life? How, how am I currently doing that? And how can I bring more of that into my life? And for me, the first thing that I talked, thought about was more white space, more capacity. Like to me, that is like, the way to simplify my triggers is to create more space for me to have those conversations with myself, for me to go and, you know, do all of that work. And so the last few years in our company, I'm very open about we've had maintenance years um, where we haven't set any of these big growth targets. We are maintaining what we have. We're optimizing our assets. We're doing all of these things because I need capacity. Like I can't continue to be in this wild growth mode. But whenever I have these conversations with our school leaders and our members, and I'm like, okay, let's do less. Let's prioritize less big projects. The resistance is so vast. It is so challenging to have a conversation with someone like, but I have to do all these projects, but I have to do all these things, but I need to do the Mother's Day breakfast and the dad's night out and the winter wonderland and, you know, and the Thanksgiving brunch and the New Year's, like all the things and keep the center running. So I know this is like music to your ears, but let's talk a little bit about how we create capacity and how we let go of, I have to do everything. And it'll also be done this year. So capacity is actually terrifying. I, you know, I have clients all the time that come in, they're like 30, 60 days in and they're like, oh crap, be careful what you wish for, Heather. I came in, I actually, now I have that time and energy and I'm scared because I don't know what to do with it. That is what emotionally uncomfortable is about. It's like you have to feel that vulnerability and you will learn to gain capacity to feel like I love chips and chips help me dim my feelings sometimes when I'm feeling vulnerable or it's okay. But observing how you like to like, you know, we got to lean in. Our brain is designed to keep us safe. And when you are used to living in a state of survival and chronic chaos, even if like it's not profitable for you, and even if like things are going down hard in your life, you will realize it's not sustainable, but a part of you likes it. Like a part of you thinks it's comfortable. So you need to lean into the growth edge and you don't need to do this all or nothing. So when someone says, do less, that can be terrifying. (laughs) But what about what's on the other side of less? Less is the tool to get there. So what do you want? I want peace. I want fulfillment. I want happier families. I want like to be known as like the best center ever because of our culture. Like, what is it that you want? What is the bigger why? Don't focus on what you need to do to get there, right? So I tell people, they're like, I want... I want a hundred K month. I want this. I want this. I want like never to yell again. Like what is your thing that you want? Okay, cool. Now in order to get there, to reverse engineer that, you may have to do less better. You may have to have a maintenance year. Your ego will not like that. But unfortunately, it doesn't matter how much you spend in coaching or personal development or professional development. And some people may not want to hear this, but there needs to come a time and a place when you are done with your own bullshit. For cancer, was that for me? At I mean, there's been many moments where I'm like, I'm done with my own bullshit. Yeah. Cancer was that for me where I was like, I've checked the suffering box. 
I will never let myself get back here. And I tell people all the time, sometimes they're like, oh my God, I just love what you do. And I want to work with you. And I'm like, I can tell you're not ready. Like I could, I could try to have a conversation with you about this program or this program, but you are so indecision. You are on the fence and you have not yet made a decision. And the energy that's around you is like, you're in, out, you're in, out, you're in, out. As long as you choose that energy and that identity and to stay in that story, it doesn't matter if you give me a million dollars, your life will not change. Your business will not change. And you have to take some responsibility for choice, but it's like jumping out of an airplane, right? You're like, oh my God, I know I need to jump. I know I need to jump. This is so chaotic. This is so terrifying. It's almost like be quiet and just jump because the longer you try to intellectualize your problems, the longer you're going to be in your pain. And it's like, just make a decision. If you don't make a decision to change, nothing will ever change. And it's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until your life literally explodes in your face or something bad happens. So it's like, you know, that fear when you're projecting it out there, you're just making it bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And if you want to feel something different, you got to invest in that other feeling that you want. So two more questions. One is I, I want to dig deeper into d- how does a person know what their own bullshit is? And I'll share a personal story for a second. And then really assessing here is what I have put the line in the sand. I'm not doing this anymore. So in COVID, we lived in New York at the time. We lived in a thousand square feet with four kids. And we moved to Florida in, in August of 2020. And when we moved, that was when I broke up with chaos. I'm like, I'm done. You stay in New York. Like, I don't need this stress to exist. That is not my edge. I have other ways to be successful. And I really, really broke up with chaos. Like when it comes into my life, I'm like, no, 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 thank you. Don't want this. Don't need this. Can't do this. But I lived with chaos for three decades, right? Where I'm like, yeah, this is good. This is fine. This is my edge. This is how I succeed, right? Such crazy toxicity inside of me. And so How do we recognize what our own bullshit story is and how it's hurting us? Yeah. I feel like that's a personal question for everyone. But for me, I look at what I desire and what I'm jealous of in other people Mm. or what I'm angry, what I'm becoming angry and resentful of. So I'll give you some examples If I am looking at somebody else and I'm like, I really want that, that's a desire of mine. And if I don't act on the desire, it's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Like that, it's like, like, oh, I want that. I mean, you could feel neutral about it. You could feel excited for that person or you could be angry and resentful. That's a whole other conversation. But desires are inside of you to be created. So my favorite journal prompt is, wouldn't it be nice? This is what I do all the time when I don't know what I don't know, right? So I'm like, wouldn't it be nice? And whatever comes out, I'm like, those are desires inside of me that want to be created and birthed. So when I'm sitting in front of a coach that I've hired and I'm like, I don't know, I don't know. Like they don't know either. I really need to listen to myself and I need to act on those desires. But I also observe like, what am I angry about? What am I resentful about? And when I, especially when you're resentful, it's angry if you're like, I want to change the world. But when you're like, oh, my husband, my children, my work, what that's actually doing is like numbing you. Like I've seen people where they're like, I used to be so passionate about this and I've, I've become resentful around my business. And I'm like, that's a scary place to be because you're just going to want to throw in the towel soon. And like that used to bring you joy. Resentment means you're not honoring a boundary. Resentment means there's something like weighing on you and you have to listen to that. So you have to learn to listen to these parts of yourself. But so often people are looking outside of themselves or blaming something outside of themselves. And I always find it fascinating that Two, I'm always fascinated why two people in the same industry, one is failing and one is succeeding during the exact same time. Like a studio during the pandemic 
or a gym during the pandemic or a school or something like that. And I'm always going to the founder and I'm like, what is it different about you versus you? And it is always, always how they lead. Always. I just won't tolerate that anymore. I just won't do that. Oh, we're just not here to serve those people. I have a referral for them. I can send them in the other direction. And most of the time, and what I've had to work on myself over and over and over again, because I guarantee you, yourself included, everybody listening, you want to change the world. You care about children. You care about education, which is why you were in it. But there's a part of you that wants to rescue others. And if you don't heal that rescuer, you will sink. You will sink. And it is very difficult, very difficult to help people when you are trying to do everybody else's work for them too. Well, that's a beautiful segue to my last question here around some practical strategies on breaking up with the part of yourself, with the leadership or the part of yourself that really, really is hurting how you want to feel, how you want to lead. Um, So this addiction to the people pleaser to I have to rescue to all of that. How do we get started with that? Okay. So I am actually a wildly practical person because this stuff is not uh, emotionally comfortable, but also like we can talk about theory and then people Mm -hmm. will be like, that's great in theory, but how's, what's the how to. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to break it down for you here. And I also teach this to you in like a tiny mini course that you can go download. It's $47. So I'll tell you the link about that, but I'm going to tell you what it is right now. So number one, use the journal prompt. Wouldn't it be nice? Put a 20 minute timer on and be like, wouldn't it be nice if personally, professionally write down everything. Okay. That list is your desires. These are things inside of you that want to be birthed. You want evidence. You want the secret. You want to know the action you need to take. Look at this list. That is where the mat, that is gold. And it's going to be unique to you. If you want to, wouldn't it be nice if I knit cat sweaters for a living? That is not going to be on everybody's list, right? Understand that your list is unique to you because this is where self-trust begins. Number two, you take that list and you say, what is the feeling? What's the common pattern or feeling here? Freedom, joy, ease, fulfillment. We don't want more money because we want freedom. We don't want to lose weight because we want to fit in our pants. We want to feel lighter. We want to feel strong. We want to feel confident. Look at the feeling that you're actually after, not the goal, not the thing, okay? Once you have your feeling patterns, now you're going to ask yourself, when did I feel that way? What is it, those things that make me feel that way? Something so ridiculous to me is like, like I told my husband, I'm like, I love volunteering with vulnerable populations. It fills my soul. To him, that sucks the life out of him. I need to honor those parts of myself in little tiny baby habits. Mm-hmm. I love to work out. I love endurance races. Didn't like it a year ago. Didn't like it two years ago. Honor yourself and what you want. So then I started putting these little tiny things on my calendar 10 minutes at a time. So mm-hmm. if I want to feel free, mm-hmm. well, maybe I can't, you know, screw everything up and go on a big vacation. But what is the feeling behind a vacation? Freedom, ease, then create little tiny staycation. I started putting like 10 minute, what do you call it? 10 minute walks on my calendar. People will say, I I just want to be able to read. Great. Put that literally (laughs) on your physical calendar. Oh, Mm -hmm. well, that's not going to be that big of a deal. Here's the point. Compound, right? Tiny, tiny, tiny actions done over time. You start to fill your cup. You become less angry and resentful. You become, you get out of survival mode and into the state of momentum. But if you're not willing to do tiny things over a long period of time, then nothing will ever change. And so I've done this again with my clients over and over and over and over again, rinse and repeat the process. You will your life will transform. I absolutely guarantee it. So Heather, I, I wish I could talk to you for longer. Um, where can people find out more about the work that you're doing in the world and, and just how to consume more of your content, more of what you're putting out there? So I always wish intellectually that I could teach people how to make green smoothies and it would be that easy. So <laughs> please come find me because this work is not... <laughs> 
easy. It's not a one and done. Follow me on Emotionally Uncomfortable, the podcast. I give a lot Mm -hmm. of content there. Um, This energetic time management that I'm talking about, about how to reverse engineer how you want to feel. You can go to heatherchauvin.com forward slash ETM, step-by-step 10 minute audios and a workbook literally step-by-step. Um, yeah. And my website, heatherchauvin.com book, all free resources, coaching, everything you can be found there. Thank you. What is your definition of excellence as we close out today? Oh man. The schools of excellence podcast. I just want to say like feeling alive. Excellence Mm -hmm. is like your willingness to take ownership and responsibility for who you want to be so that you put less expectation on manipulating other people (laughs) become your best self by feeling good all right so that's a wrap I wanted to have so much more time with Heather ask her so many more questions and dive deeper into how to really continue to have this dialogue with school leaders with all of our staff administration Um, if you want more information about Heather and the work that she's doing definitely go check out all the links inside the show notes that she spoke about on the show and If you like this conversation, if it resonated with you, if you appreciated the depth of what we really spoke about, I would, Heather and I would love to hear from you. So you can go on over to our Instagram account um, and share with us, tag us on social media um, and let us know what were your insights? What did you enjoy of today's conversation? And if you so desire and you want to share this with any of your friends or colleagues, mom friends, um, please do share it. The more that we can get this conversation out into the world, the more goodness we bring. So thank you for being part of Schools of Excellence and the Ripple Effect and bringing all of this amazingness to the people that need to hear it. Thank you so much for joining me here today. If you are loving the Schools of Excellence podcast and have gotten any value out of it for your school, I would love if you can do two things for me. One, subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And two, can you please leave us a review? Reviews help other school leaders know that this is the place to learn how to build a school of excellence. And I would be so grateful if you can do that for us. Your help and support makes this show to be able to be listened by the thousands of other school leaders all around the world. Thanks so much for listening, for giving us your time and attention each and every week. And I appreciate that you have joined us.